Good morning, wrestling fans. Before this interview with Coach Noel Loban, please consider leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts. Now let's get to the episode. And it teaches you a, a, you know, a certain amount of responsibility and independence. And, and, and also, with the various levels of improvement you can make, you have something to pursue. We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100%. How to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it, it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's, it's 5% of the ingredient. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort. It humbled me, taught me humility. Nothing can hit, humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to adapt, right? You learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back at my time I spent wrestling, if it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness. Welcome back to the Wrestling Changed My Life podcast. This is your host, Ryan Warner. It's Friday, July 8th. New episode coming to you with Coach Noel Lobin. Noel was a 1984 Olympic bronze medalist for the UK. He was a 1980 NCAA champion for Clemson. Rest in peace to the Clemson program. And today he's one of the coaches at North Carolina State University. Hope you enjoy it, folks. Fan of the week goes to our friend Kangas Wrestling. That's K-A-N-G-A-S underscore wrestling on the gram. Making a difference through wrestling is their tagline. Couldn't agree more. Thank you so much for the support, Kangas. We appreciate it. And folks, this episode is brought to you by Spartan Combat. Go to SpartanCombat.com. Register to win a free Yanni D t-shirt. While you're there, you can check out the events Spartan's holding. They're holding events throughout the country. They sell wrestling merchandise. And they sponsor athletes like Kyle Dick, Yanni D, David Carr, Kylie Welker, and right now, you could enter to win a free Yanni D t-shirt on SpartanCombat.com. And without further ado, let's give it up for Coach Noel Lobin. Noel, welcome to the podcast, my friend. Thank you very much. Much appreciated. It's an honor to have you. I was looking through your background, and man, just so many awesome, awesome events we're going to talk about. But And we don't always do this, but this time, let's go back to the very beginning. Where were you born in the UK? Actually, you know, I was born in in um in Wimbledon, Wimbledon, Wimbledon Hospital. Everybody knows of the Wimbledon tennis tournament. Matter of fact, it's going on right now. And um, but yeah, that's where I was born. What was your experience like growing up? Mm, you know, I, I uh, it's uh, yeah, some challenges, some challenges growing up. Um, I grew up obviously grew up in London. Um, I was um. Um, I grew up in, a, in an orphanage um, from about the age of about maybe four to about maybe 11, 12. So right before I moved 
um, to the United States. Wow. So do you have a lot of memories in the orphanage? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, a lot of good um, memories, actually, of the orphanage. Um, things at home weren't that great at the time for me. So um, I remember going to, um, I remember being, I was talking somewhere just the other day. I, I was, I remember going to the courts and, you know, when you go to the um, the courts in England, they call the, the lawyers are called barristers, barristers, and um, and so when you go into the courts, they have the white wigs, you know, the mops, whatever. And um, yeah, I remember you know them having a gavel and and kind of sentencing my family that you know the the, the state was going to have me at least for a while, and so uh, I remember not seeing them again for a while. But, Obviously, I was able to go on visits and things like that, but it's just a kind of messed up situation. And were you involved in sports at that point or not till you got to the U.S.? You know, I got into I got into rugby. And so as a that was probably the only sport I did. I mean, um, as a recreational thing with friends, I would play soccer. But um, as far as the team, team sports, rugby is probably the only in school team sport that a lot of schools will have. They may yeah, have soccer. U.S. is unique like that, right? That we have all these uh, sports teams attached to the school. You know, that's probably the biggest thing that I think gives the U.S. an amazing advantage over a lot of countries. Because um, I think like, um, like for example, um, everything in, in Europe is all club related. You know, and so you get you know you get in a sports in a club situation, and you'll stay in that club, or they bounce from club to club. Normally, you stay in the club that's in your town for as long as you want to remain in that sport. Yeah, so. and so you you had kind of this this rough background, as you say. How do you think that impacted your drive to succeed in sports? Hmm. Yeah, that's pretty easy. Um, because of the uh, the relationship I have with my stepfather, he was very abusive uh, physically. And so um, when I got into wrestling, because it was, a, it was a, one of those sports that you, it's, it's, it's an individual sport where you go head to head. And I don't know, when I first got into it, at least when I got into matches, I would use my dislike or my really my hatred for my stepfather as my aggression that when I go out on the mat, I'm gonna give it all I've got, you know, kind of thing. And so um, it's funny that I, I use that motivation, wow, to three years in college. Um, so maybe yeah, about five years to, in my life, you know, which is pretty significant. So it was only really when I became a believer and I really had to face that stuff about hatred and, um, and that was that was tough. That was something that I had to, you know, one of the things that I had to kind of give up. You know, that and a lot of cussing. <laughs> so when did that all take place? I was in college. I, you know, I was in Clemson, and um, um, I had some friends. Matter of fact, I had a roommate who was a, a believer and who shared his life. And a lot of what his life was, I could see. And so that was a testimony in and of itself. But, um, you know, me asking him questions and, and um, him studying the Bible with me and, um, and, and me doing, I guess, my own examination 
um, of the scriptures and um, really convicted my heart. And that um, yeah, was great, you know. Um, what, what did he have like in his life that made you say this is something I want to maybe be a part of? Well, a lot of people, they've confessed, maybe say they confess Jesus as Lord, but they don't. His life was different. You could see it in his words, in his, it, it's interesting, like he wasn't the best wrestler in the room. We had, a, we, we had a pretty studly room down at Clemson. And so he may have not been the best, but I mean, this kid would get thrown from wall to wall, you know, headlock, whatever. And I'd never seen a cuss come out of his mouth. This guy didn't curse or nothing. And, you know, some of those guys are pretty nasty. And, uh, and so even from, you know, the heavier weights are in one corner of the room, the lighter weights in the other. And I'm an observing guy and I, like I said, a lot more is caught than taught. And so just from his life, his lifestyle, his example, it was uh, very convicting to me. So um, one day, um, Wade, um, my coach in college, Wade Charles, he, um, he told me I needed to have a chat with this guy because he's kind of being disruptive. And I was like, I didn't know what he meant. So he, he, you know, being kind of the captain, he wanted me to chat with him. And so my first question to the guy was, uh, I don't know what it is you got, but uh, I'd like to know a little bit more about it. And the rest is history, essentially. So, Wow, so you realized you had this, some unhealthy things to deal with from your past life that was kind of bubbling up inside you and that that was something you used to get past them? Essentially, that's it. Wow. So how did you go from being in an orphanage in London to moving to the U.S.? Yeah, moved when my mom and, um, and dad, stepfather, whatever, when they had most of my family from Jamaica, my family is Cuban and Jamaican um, origins. And so when my mom, my mom had gone to England to study nursing. And so when she decided you know, she had her degree and everything else, had a, um, have five boys, one girl in our family. She decided um, she wanted to move to the United States because that's where the rest of her family was. And so when she had made that decision, I was moved from the orphanage back home. And for maybe, I guess it was, it was under a year. It may have been eight months. Um, maybe slightly more, slightly less, but, you know, we, you know, so I'm meeting my, a lot of my family. I would know some of them, but not really everybody. So, so uh, having a lot of kids. So it was, yeah, I, you know, it was, it, was, it was a weird thing, man. The dynamics were really good. So, were your brothers and sisters with you in the orphanage or did they stay back home? They stayed home. Wow. So, um, yeah. So, it was a... Uh, what was your first impression of the States? Um, in the schools, they have no discipline. You know, they're un, kind of unruly, kind of unorganized. I'm, from what I was used to, like, for example, I was, I would get in trouble a lot. I don't know exactly what I was doing. It's not like I was a troublemaker, nothing like that. But, you know, so if you get in trouble in, in England, they send you to the office. And if you go to the office, you're either going to get a, um, a, a cane, you know. Like an actual head. cane? 
got to bend over and you take that cane, man, it will tear your behind up, you know? So they either do that or, or they do a, a slipper or what they call a, not a shoe, but yes, a slipper. But it's, uh, that thing tears you up too. I mean, it's quite painful, you know? Um, so you're going out of there with some physical abuse, no matter what. <laughs> yeah, it's corporal punishment, but I mean, it makes you think twice before you, you know, you get up to mischief. So, so coming from that whole ideology to the United States, which they didn't have that, and people were talking back to the teacher and cussing at the teacher, that was a bit different, to, you know. But you know, after a while, it it, it really balanced itself out. You know, I could I could uh, I could appreciate the way the U.S. did what they did. What about like popular culture? I mean, TV, movies, food, was that all similar or was it pretty different? In England, I think we may have had maybe one or two stations. I think we had BBC One, BBC Two, where in the United States at that time, they may have had four or five, ABC, CBS, NBC. I can't remember what others, no. So, um, it's interesting. All the shows of that 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 generation. I mean, anybody that lived there knew all the shows that were on TV, right? I'm sure. <laughs> you know, so it's like kids nowadays. I mean, there's there's so much to choose from. You know, you'll you'll miss stuff. Mm -hmm. So, but 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 then you were limited, so limited at that time. It's just like with with wrestling. You know, the amount of resources and information that kids have now you know, on YouTube and, and um, all the other various places which where you can get wrestling, you know, it's, uh, it's incredible. It's incredible. So it's no wonder that, that these kids are so much more progressive and advanced in the, in the sport. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think see. about trying to watch a college duel meet in the 70s and, like, it would be probably really hard unless you were there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That. Well, you know, like, I remember... Um, the matches that I would watch were Lehigh. That's something I could catch in, in, in New York. I grew up in Long Island, so I could catch Lehigh matches. Um, but that was, I think, the only matches I was able to get. So, so I, I was kind of very familiar with a lot of the Lehigh wrestlers and, and just that level. It's a high level of wrestling at that time, too. So it was a, it was a joy. Crazy, because when you won the Nationals, you had to take out Mike Brown in the quarters from Lehigh. Yeah, yeah, but I had a I had a bone to pick for him because he beat me in a in a dual meet, and um, I felt like I could have beat him, but I had lost to him here because I watched him wrestle, and you know he was an All American, and I had seen you know him become All American when he was maybe as a freshman, and also as a sophomore, and so uh, you know to be wrestling him as a senior, but you know we were both seniors at that time, I'm like. But anyway, so as a, in a dual meet, I'd lost to him before, before we even wrestled. But it, it gave me a lot to, he beat me like on riding time. But, you know, I realized that I had his number because he was a great rider. And he's, uh, if, if he was on the bottom, he was going to either get two reversal or he was going to get an escape. But on his feet, he, he, wasn't, he didn't have too much. So, um, yeah. What was your go-to back then? single leg um, and maybe ankle pick. So you were a takedown guy. Yeah, I did like takedown. 
So it's, it's crazy because we'll get to your college career and come back to that. But when you think about your route back then, you know, you went the Juco route. How did, I guess, even to go back further, like how did wrestling first get on your radar? Wow. Yeah. Um, I remember hanging out with a lot of kids when I was in uh, seventh, eighth grade. I came to the United States when I was in seventh grade. And so by the time I was in eighth grade, I had kind of sussed out certain groups and people and things like that. And this one group of kids near my neighborhood that, you know, we kind of walked home because um, we lived in the same neighborhood. And so we kind of walked home together. Um, a lot of these guys, when they got into altercations, they would wrestle. And then the match, the, the fight was over. And so I realized real fast that, boy, you know, wrestling helps you on the street. <laughs> and I had gotten into a few little tussles and um, I wasn't no wrestler. So I thought maybe this would be, would give me a little edge. And, uh, you know, growing up in New York, any little bit of edge is definitely going to help you. So uh, that was my thinking. And so um, I went out for wrestling in ninth grade. But I had a paper out at the time. And so I went out for um, I went out for wrestling, but I had this paper out. So by the time practice was over and I got home, we're talking about I'm delivering papers maybe six o'clock, six thirty. And a lot of these guys come from home, you know, come from work. Five o'clock. So they wanted to read the newspaper when they're putting their feet up. They can't be getting their paper at seven o'clock, 7.30 at night. That's like old news. <laughs> and so um, I went out for wrestling for, and I made it for a week. And then I had to do my round where I had to collect my collections on over the weekend. And everybody, it was unanimous. Hey son, uh, you can't be rolling up here, de delivering paper at seven o'clock at night. It's not gonna work. It's old news, you know, so I heard that like for that whole day. And I was like, well, I guess I got to you know, give wrestling a break. So um, it's you had to collect your own payment back then. Yeah, man, I had to ride around in, on a on a um, a bike, you know, with the, the new, you know, all the newspapers in that basket up front. And on the weekends, I mean, if I didn't collect the money, who would? I thought maybe like the newspaper be delivering a check to you or something like that. Uh, all the newspaper that delivered to me was a big old bunch of new piles of newspapers. And then I had to put them on my bike and, and huff it. And you the rest was on you. Yeah. And so I'd pick up the money and then, you know, give them the money. And, you know, like today, nowadays, even that, even that question, man, is, is, is interesting because like nowadays, you know, you can do all that stuff, you know, through the phone and, I wouldn't know how they would do that with kids, but you don't see kids delivering newspapers nowadays. You really don't. No, I, uh, it's funny. My brother had a paper route, but it was maybe for like a year and it was only the once a week paper and it was on the weekends, but right. it was, uh, there were some kids who had that and those kids were just workers. Like they were, they were on it, but they were mostly, I don't remember a lot of athletes doing that because there's just too much going on. Right. Right. You know, and that's what I came to learn that, it's very difficult to do them both, obviously, and keep everybody happy. So I quit wrestling uh, after a week, 
because it didn't really work with my schedule. And at that time, I'm living with my aunt. And so I, this, the, the same situation that put me in the, in the north orphanage in England is the same thing that put me to live with my, uh, my aunt later on once I moved to the United States. Uh, my, my stepfather didn't really want me. And so he kind of busted my head open. And um, and then I moved, I kind of went over to my aunt's place, my aunt and my uncle, and they had like six kids of their own at the time with one on the way. So my aunt was pregnant. And so I'm there, I'm there. And so they said, listen, you can't go back to that crazy man, you know? And so they raised me like I was their own child. So there's wow. eight kids in the house and only my uncle was working. So 10 people in the house all together. Holy right. smokes. Yeah, stuff. And so I uh, I just really loved them to death. And 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 my cousins that I grew up with they're really like my sister, my brother and sisters. So very, very close to them. Um yeah. And their right. eldest, their eldest is like the same age as me. Were any of them athletes? Um they had six girls, one boy, and the boy was an athlete. Hmm. But the girls so did your mom not want to keep you around or she was powerless she wanted to keep me around but when um you know whenever she's not around that's when i was getting beat up you know and so she, i think the reason why she put me in an orphanage was really for my safety you know she knew what he was like and um Come to find out later on, he was an alcoholic on top of that. So even if, even his own kids were, you know, they're very yeah. questionable of, of, of him in a lot of ways too. So, um, so that whole story with he and I, um, yeah, it was pretty, it's fought with a lot of, a lot of issues. And, um, because it's just a person that didn't, I, I wasn't his child, so he didn't like me. And so, you know, kind of thing. So how did you have a conversation with your aunt and uncle about not doing the paper route and doing wrestling? I didn't, you know, yeah. when, when, you know, the pay, the paper round, the paper, yeah, the paper round was, um, it, any little bit of money I could bring in to help them. Cause I'm, I'm what at that time, Came to the country at 12, I think, maybe 13. And, um, and then I was living with her like the next year, or possibly even the same year, you know? Wow. And, uh, and her kids had just moved into the country about eight months before that. They moved back, they, they moved from Jamaica. Holy and smokes. I so you guys are all going <laughs> through it together. <laughs> We're all going through it together, exactly. And it's interesting. I didn't know that at the time. So I'm thinking, oh, you know, they, you know, they, they've been going up in America for years and years. I just found out a few years ago that wasn't the case. <laughs> I was like, what? Just a few years ago? Yeah, yeah. Just talked to my cousin because I just assumed. And so, you know, when you assume stuff, you don't know what's going on. You don't really what? know. That. And, and, and so they didn't talk about it. I didn't really talk about it. But here I am thinking they were, they've been here many years. Only to find out it's only been a few months that they were there before I was. They didn't talk about like 
two years prior, like what it was like growing up in Jamaica? Nothing? Never came up no, once? They, they were probably reeling just like I was, you know, because they were kind of abandoned by, you know, their mom and they, their mom wanted to get a better life for them. But kids don't, they don't see it that way. You know, if you're, if you're a parent and you're not there, they feel abandoned. Mm-hmm. You can say to the best and this and that, the other. No, kids don't, you know, they, that's not how they think. You're going to come, you're going to bring them, you know, home at some, at a later date, six months, whatever, a year later. Yeah. They, they've not seen you in that time. So in their minds, there's a lot of issues going on Mm -hmm. because, you know, you're, you're being nurtured at, at a very, very young age. And so if your parents are there, it makes it. It helps, you know, with security and things like that. And they, they may have had a little bit of that, but it's still not enough. What was the the scene and the mood like in Long Island back then for, for immigrants in the U.S.? I can't say I, I... I had an English accent, and so um, I probably wasn't considered... I was more of a... Uh, Yeah, it was interesting. I, I, I had I didn't have any negative um, interaction with people. I wasn't teased. I, I wasn't bullied. Other than I talked different, and that was more of a that was more interesting than anything else. Mm-hmm. So um, I can't say um, in Long Island I had any issues. And once you got so so you moved and just jumping back into wrestling. So how did you so sophomore? You just said I'm done with it. I'm going to go out for wrestling and stick with it. As a sophomore, the only reason I went out for wrestling as a sophomore is because I guess the coach at the time, name was Art Tierney, he had gotten everybody, everybody that came into the wrestling room as that previous year, he had gotten everybody's name written, written down. And um, so my name was called to come down to the wrestling room at the end of school. And so I went down and had that, either had he not made that announcement or had I not heard that announcement, I wouldn't have gone down to the wrestling room (laughs) and my life would have taken a different turn. You know, Um, I enjoyed soccer more than I wrestled or that I, and I enjoyed wrestling because, uh, you know, I was I was familiar with with soccer, but but I got the wrestling bug. It doesn't take a person that long to get the wrestling bug. <laughs> but once I got the bug, man, it was all over. And and as a soccer player, I was like second team All American in soccer. You know. Dang. So when I went to junior college, my intention was to play soccer for farming there. And the coach and I didn't really see eye to eye. He had favorites. I'm fine with that, but, you know, yeah. So anyway, I felt it was unfair. And so I kind of quit. And I've never really quit at anything, but I quit because I knew I wasn't going to get any time. And so I thought, let me just concentrate on wrestling. And so um, I'm, I'm working out with some of the wrestlers lifting and stuff like that 
And he comes by the room and says, Logan, what are you doing in here? Say, hey, I'm, I'm wrestling. He said, man, get your butt out there. So I said, why should I go out there and practice all, you know, spend all my time practicing when you're not going to let me play on the weekends? And he goes, well, you come out, I'll show you. I'll get you, I'll get you in there over the weekend. So I went out, practiced that week. On the weekend, we had a game. I think right before the half, I may have got it. They may have been two minutes left, and he let me go out and play for two minutes in the first half. That was it. I was like, that's it. Were you better than those guys? Yeah, I felt like I was. I mean, as an individual, we can all say, hey, we're better. But I played with a lot of the guys. Um, there's a number of guys who are from the West Indies, you know, Trinidad, Jamaica, um, uh, Mexico. And we played early on before the season started. And so we had a, you know, camaraderie. And so, you know, but your friends who are good players, they know. And so they can tell you, yeah, you should be playing. You're certainly better than the person, you know. So, um, you know, it's not like they're, if, if you have, I think when you play t games like soccer and basketball, football, you, you know where the talent is and you want certain people on your team. And so when they're not there, you kind of scratch your head and say, why not? Mm -hmm. And so um, it was kind of like that. So, but I, I saw where the coach was, where he was coming from. And, and I felt like, hey, that's it. That's fine. But I think there was no animosity between he and I. It's just that, um, you know, when I made that decision to totally cut it off, you know, that was it. And it was a good, good decision because I was, I was way behind the eight ball, as they say, <laughs> right? And so, um, so my first year at Farmingdale, I didn't even make the team. Not even wow. close. But I improved so much because I had a really good coach. But more than that, I had really good workout partners. Those workout partners kicked my butt every day. And so I really improved because of that. And, and were you so, doing like the, uh, the extra training, all of it, just totally into it, obsessed? With the wrestling? Yeah. I was, I was. Um, I, I find wrestling is a very cerebral sport. And so. Really? I, I, I think so. Love that. Tell me I about think, that. Yeah, I think, you know, wrestling is like, you know, it's chess in, in many ways, right? So if you're competing against somebody who's real strong or, or real fast, I mean, you've got to neutralize their strengths <laughs> or you're going to get tore, tore up. And I learned at a very young age or, or learned early in, in wrestling that I was really long and gangly. And so I gave people um, a lot of difficulties because I was just so long and, and lanky. Mm -hmm. I wasn't that strong, sure. I didn't have the greatest technique, sure. But I was difficult because, you know, I've got long legs, long arms, just long limbs, and it's just very difficult. And so I learned that um, I can really wear guys out by stretching my body out when they shoot in on me. And, you know, so just kind of pick things up. And I thought, and so every match was different. And, and you know, because I'm wrestling guys who are shorter, Guys who are big and strong, guys who are real slick, guys who are quick, you know. And so I kind of figured at a young age, I figured how to beat people. 
in that way. So at Clemson, like I said, not Clemson. So when I was at Farmingdale my first year, I didn't have, I didn't make the team, but by the, I think by December, by either December or January, I could probably beat everybody on the team with the exception of maybe two guys. Where when I first got in the room, and I was about a 167 pounder, 167, 177 pounder. I was getting beat by guys from 135 up. And wow. if I and if I worked out maybe with the 118 pounders, that would have been too embarrassing if they beat me. So that's the only reason why I didn't go, you know, go down there. But yeah. But I figure I learned how to beat guys. You know, some guys, man, you put the legs in on them. I wasn't a leg man, but I, some guys, you put the legs on them and they just kind of, they freak, you know? And, and, and so that was the weakness of theirs. And so I beat them with legs. Other guys, if you could take them down and ride them, you could beat them. Other guys, if you just neutralize the feet and then roll them and, and turn them, you know? So it was all tweaking stuff. And I could handle that because that was all about tactics and strategy. And so once I started doing that and really getting success with that, it really helped me. And then when at did the, you get your first crack at like outside competition? Um, they had tournaments, you know, um, at the time. Um, there's an, a number of tournaments, open tournaments that I would go to. But I never won a tournament in high school. And I never won a tournament in college until my, my second year in college. Um, I ended up winning the regionals, winning the nationals. And I thought, wow, you know, I go to all these tournaments and I lose in the quarters or the semis, and then I've got to go to wrestlebacks. And then I got to come all the way through. And I thought, man, it's so much easier to get to the finals if you just win, if you just don't lose. <laughs> and so to me, it made it easy. It made it more sense. But that wouldn't have made sense had I not gone through that the rigors of, you know, wrestling in the constellations and things like that. So, yeah, I hadn't really, I hadn't won a tournament or anything like that, but I was in a lot of tournaments where I've had like seven, eight matches, you know, come back yeah. to third or come back to fourth, whatever. So I'm getting a lot of experience. And, and being that I started wrestling in 10th grade, I needed the experience. So um, and Long Island is pretty good wrestling. New York pretty good wrestling. So, I was getting creamed by guys who were different grades, <laughs> you know? So, so even as a senior, I think I re remember getting, getting beat by a kid from Brentwood, you know? And he was like a, a either freshman or sophomore, man, which is embarrassing. I was like, wow. <laughs> Just demoralized you, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you went into your sophomore year, to go from not even being on the team to being the JUCO national champ, is this something like you had clear goals on or how did you make up that much ground? I think it's, I had a, a workout partner, Gatson. You know, Kyvin Gatson? Willie Gatson? Well, you know, Willie Gatson, Willie Gatson, Kyvin Gatson, his dad is Willie. And, and Charles is, is, uh, is Willie's brother. Got it. And, right. And so um, I used to work out with Charlie and Charlie's a beast. <laughs> And so when Charlie, when I, I had a chat with Charlie when I was at Farmerdale, 
my first year was his, his, his year. Um, I, I had a conversation with him and I said, um, you know, I was trying to find out what his goals were. And he said he wanted to pin everybody he wrestled and be junior college national champ. And so I thought, wow, that'd be pretty intense. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, if I want to do the same thing, that's about how I, how, how I was thinking. If I wanted to duplicate what he's doing, maybe not with the pins, <laughs> mind you, but being a national champ, let me just jump on this guy's back and work out with him. And, um, and my working out with him just made me improve, you know? And mm -hmm. so like I would, I would, so I would try and duplicate or imitate the things he did. So um, I used to run a lot in the hills and by myself. And so I thought, let me run with him. And he, he wasn't the fastest runner or the hardest runner and stuff. So I, I didn't feel like he could help me in that, in that regard. I ran track and stuff like that. So I thought, eh, he's going to help me on the mat and that's fine. So other guys on the team were really strong and they did a lot of weights. I didn't know much about that. And so I would hang out with some of the guys that really live for that. And mm -hmm. so that helped me get stronger. And so whatever the things I felt like I was, I needed, those are the things that I, that I felt like I could do. I felt like running, I was a hard one. I pushed myself. I was very disciplined. Um, I felt like I, I'm good with that. But the wrestling, yeah, I need the help with that and with the lifting and weights and things like that. Because back in those days, we didn't have, at least at Farmingdale Junior College, we didn't have, wow, I don't think we had a weight room. I mean, an, an organized weight room where you have a trainer and, you know, assistant trainers in there, you know, so we had to do our own thing. Mm -hmm. And even in high school, you know, you have your, remember that the universal, you know, that kind of, yeah. You don't see them anymore, but that was a great idea at the time, right? Right. But um, so I remember kids training on the Universal, but I was like, man, this is boring. <laughs> it didn't do nothing. So I never really started lifting weights until junior college, just with other guys that lifted. How and long was, after until the till Wade Chalice gave you a call? You know, I've seen Wade wrestle. At a, at a tournament in Pennsylvania, I think it was East Stroudsburg, and he was wrestling for a team called Me Machines. You ever hear that name? Uh-uh. Yeah. yeah, it comes from the longest yard. And so Me Machine was, a, was this team that, um, kind of like Foxcatcher or, or like um, Sunkid, Sunkist Kids, some of that, it's, you know, just a little club they had. And um, I saw this guy wrestle. That's the only reason I know who he, who he was at the time, but, um, and he was doing some stuff in the mat and I was just, my, my eyes bugged out. <laughs> anyway, so when I was at nationals, at junior college nationals, he came by after my match and he said, hey, stud, good job. And, you know, I just kind of thanked him, that was it. And then I got a letter uh, to come visit. He got the job down at Clemson. He wanted me to come visit and come, you know, do a recruiting trip. So um, I knew I knew the name because once you see him wrestle and you see him go through a tournament in like uh, maybe all the matches together, four minutes, five minutes, if that. But he was that dominant? 
Oh my gosh. Yeah, it was ridiculous. Wow. I mean, I mean, and then and then you hear the legends and all the other stuff that comes with if you don't know him, and, and people in Pennsylvania know him and they know the stories and and your eyes just kind of get larger and larger. But when you see it, you say, Okay, I can believe it. Yeah, he was uh he's he's pretty special. That's a name that you know, I graduated high school in 07. Some people from my era maybe know the name, but don't know a lot about him or what, like, what were the rumors for him back then? Okay. So he went to Clarion University, you know, Clarion University. So uh, he, he, he was in a fraternity, which in and of itself is kind of rare for an athlete, mm -hmm. certainly nowadays. Anyway, so he was in a fraternity. So the fraternity brothers, from what I gathered, would... They would get a, they would either make a chalk mark on the, on the mat when it was a home, when it was a home match, or they would get white tape, athletic tape, and they would make an X on the, on the mat. And he, and, and everybody in the stands knew this, except the person maybe that he's wrestling. So everybody knew that when he saw that X, well, he was gonna, cause he pins guys, he's, he's, you know, and so he he would put a guy in a pinning combination, take him over to that, that spot and put their shoulders down and pin wow. him. But I mean, yeah, so he was just known to be a, a pinning machine like that. So, and that can, I mean, that, I, I can't imagine what the, what the crowd was like in, in the auditorium at that time, you know? Um, but I mean, that's, that's a, a money, Draw, some people draw to see that kind of enthusiasm and you know the the anticipation and so um yeah you know another thing he's he's, he's done he, he went up i think two weight classes and wrestled the national champ he's at a, a two a division two school so he's a national champion division two he goes up and wrestles the guy who's the national champ at division one two weight classes up that's never been done to this day I know Ashton went up one weight class and had his hands full with the national champ. Mm -hmm. But this guy went up two weight classes, had his hands full, sure, with the national champ, but two weight classes up with pins him. What was his pinning hold? Was he like a... He was a cradler, but he was funky. He was and, and, and unorthodox. And so, you know, he would reach around the back and grab you and then, you know, the toss you, hip toss you. You know, he's pretty judo savvy. Mm -hmm. And he was very unorthodox on top of that. He had strong legs, strong grip, but he doesn't look like nothing. I mean, you look at him, you say, oh, this guy. <laughs> and um, but yeah, he was, he was, he, he was mean and nasty. The nicest guy you ever want to meet, but he was on the mat. Oh my gosh. Yeah, you didn't know, man. You didn't, you didn't know <laughs> until you grabbed him. Man, sounds yeah. like a, almost like a Spencer Lee or something, like just would turn people at ease. I mean, just crazy. But it would look easier when he did it. Really? That's the thing that was scary. Did he still have it I mean, when you went there in uh, the 70s? He was, um, he went to Tbilisi. And at this time, I don't think anybody had wrestled. I don't think any Americans had wrestled in Tbilisi. So we're talking... I, I was there at 77, so I'm thinking seven, maybe 75, 76, 75, 74. But he won the tournament 
and was ranked and, and was was given the label best wrestler in the world because he beat he wrestled four Russians and pinned each one of them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's why. Really? <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, he's uh, yeah, he was dangerous. He's beaten Lee Kemp. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Man, those are that's a that's a that's a guy that deserves some more exploration on my end. That's crazy that he's that dominant. What were his practices like? Nothing. His practices were not. Um, he didn't coach the unorthodox. He was very, you know, fundamental when he came to coaching stuff. So, but I really liked the things he brought. You know, it's the way he thought. And, uh, and so, but he didn't coach that stuff. So I had to pick it up from wrestling. But you may, he did maybe once a month or once a week. So it's hard, you know what I mean? Because he pinned me, you know, and then the match was <laughs> over. So I'm like, how did you do that? And I'm trying to find out what he did. It was just really tricky stuff that he was doing. But I'm like, I can take out most of the guys in the room with, you know, and yet you're taking me out like it's nothing. I'm, you know, it's just, oh. Wow. Yeah. So were yeah. you part of the first class at Clemson that had wrestling? I was. Was. Talk to us about which is crazy because they didn't have wrestling that long. But like, what was it like that first year going through the going through the season? Oh, the first year? Yeah. We had these kids. We had a kid from North Dakota. Kids from Iowa. North Carolina, um, all over the country. And so he knew how to he knew how to recruit. But if you want to have a sustained and a sustainable program, you have to not only recruit good athletes, you gotta recruit good students. Mm-hmm. You know, kids who wanna who wanna get an education or want to get a degree, but also and, and so we we got good athletes, we got good wrestlers, but all they wanted to do was wrestle. And, and unfortunately, party. <laughs> and, um, and so for the first two years I'm there, I, was, I wrestled with a different team. So everybody that, that showed up, there were guys that were, at, that were at Clemson that put a petition together and they wanted to get a team. And, and so those guys, if they made the starting lineup, they were around. Whether they made the starting lineup or, or, or not, they were, they were around. They were kind of the staple. But some of the guys that were recruited in, they weren't there the second year. Yeah, so, so tell, me about, um, tell me about your run to the national title. You went in, you had been at Clemson for a couple years at that point. You mm-hmm. wrestle. Mike Brown in the regular season, like you said, and you went into the Nationals, the eighth seed. What were some of your expectations going into it that year? Um, I had one expectation, and that was to win. And I wouldn't be diverted. And I believed I was... See, I'd gone to the Nationals the previous year, and I 
I, w I was two and out. And so the remainder of the tournament, I sat in the stands and I just observed. I'm a big observer kind of guy. So, and again, I'm, I'm putting things together in my mind, what I need, what I need to do to improve. But the one, I, the one thing I went away with was that these guys, yeah, they're in good shape, but I was in good shape. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're good technique, but I had good technique. Yeah, they're strong, and I'm not strong. And so that I left there. I left the tournament with, I'm going to get diesel <laughs> this summer. <laughs> and so I did construction just to make the money. Um, and then I think, yeah, I, I started doing, getting magazines on bodybuilding, to be honest. And I was just getting their workouts just to work on strength, you know, squats, you know, just general stuff. But, um, and so what I was doing, I guess I can tell you this, but I was, I would, I was breaking into Clemson's gym. You know, I was breaking into their gym in the evenings because I knew nobody was around. So I do construction during the day. I would, um, and you know, I'm grime and, oh, so I would take a shower, clean up, take a rest, uh, make dinner. And then around six o'clock, I would go down to the gym, down to Clemson. And I had a little, you know, um, anyway, I would, I'd break it. And so I know the way that Clemson had their gym set up. And I know the guys that work there and the head coach and everything. So they're meticulous in having everything in its place. And so I would walk around the gym three or four times, make sure I knew where everything was. And then I would set my workout up and I would work out. And then I'd put everything back. I'd walk around it once or two times, make sure everything was put back after about an hour workout. And then I would get out of there. And everything, if they came back in the morning, nothing was out of place. So I did that for the whole summer. I How many days a week? Working out? Yeah. I was doing a, I was probably working out every other day, you know, and um, I would do like um, maybe cardio stuff every other day. So I would lift about three days a week and do a little bit of running and jump rope and stuff like that two days a week. And South Carolina summers are hot too to be working construction. Oh yeah. Oof. Oh yeah. my lord. Yeah, it was no joke. But I, I learned a lot. You know, it was hard work, but um yeah. But you know, we started early in the morning. We start six o'clock. So it was rough. A, a buddy, my 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 roommate had a porch. So uh the we worked with a con contractor, so he, he was picking us up in his truck at five o'clock <laughs> you know he's That's picking us up five o'clock and then we're driving through the mountains to get to you know construction site and it would take us about 40 minutes 45 minutes to get there so my buddy was like you know what let's bag this driving with him for 45 minutes let's leave when they you know let's leave rather than leaving at five o'clock let's leave at 5 30 and we'll still get there about you know five fifteen or five you know because he had a Porsche and those babies hugged the road and that's what we started doing man 
we get that half an hour sleep <laughs> and then we'll be on the road man we get there and uh, and it worked it worked we did that for the whole summer man that's crazy and so you you put in the the work with the construction crew then the weight room and then the following year at the nationals what was your like self-talk going into it when you had that big quarterfinal match with with mike brown from lehigh um yeah it was just mostly you know i've got I know I can beat them, and my mindset was different, and I it's payback time, and so um, yeah, but uh, you know, but I still really respected his strengths. I mean, he's he's still a beast on top, you know, and uh, but I knew I could escape from him, and that's what won the match. You know, I would take him down, and and then I'll cut him, and then I would take him down and. You know, he would escape or whatever. And, you know, so it was kind of one of those matches. So, um, and, yeah, but I escaped. Um, and, and won, I think, won the match um, by one point. And then what about in the finals against the great Dan Severin? You know, Wade was very, he's a very, he knew what Dan's strengths were. Not strength, but he knew what his best move was. Because he, I think that year, Dan had probably pinned, um, I think it was Ben Peterson or John Peterson. Um, and John, or it was Ben, I can't remember who it was, but, you know, it was, what a, or, or it was an Olympic gold medalist. Mm-hmm. And bronze medalist, some of that too. So, um, you know, so, anyway, so he showed me the move that, you know, he likes to go to. He says, you have got to make sure that you, you know, you, you stop him from doing this move. And so he showed me what the move was. And so with my heavyweight who was there, um, a guy named Al, Alan, um, I was, I would have him try to do this move on me and I would try and counter it or stop it, you know, neutralize it. And uh, it's, it's a good, and, and our heavyweight was strong as a beast. And so it was a good thing that I was trying to stop the move with our heavyweight because, Dan was probably the strongest human being I've ever wrestled to date. Really? So, so that, I know he's, he's been in, in um, MMA, you know, years ago, and they called him the beast, and I, I know why. He was, he's the strongest human being I've ever, ever laid hands on. And, um, but I, you know, and so for the whole, I think, the whole period, I was trying to stop this move, which I did. Because he normally pins people with that move, and so um, I don't, I don't know what his record was on his way in the tournament, nothing like that. But yeah, um, anyway, so um, we end up going into overtime, and then um, in overtime he was he was gassed, and uh, I knew I had him. So uh, yeah, it's one of those things. What was the moment like when you got on top of the podium and finally? Took it all in. Um, well, you know, I think I, I know in wrestlers, I know wrestlers, I don't know about in other sports, I'm sure they do it in other sports, but I think there's so much of the expectation, you know, your dreams, your fantasies. And, and so there was no surprise, to be honest. There was no surprise. And um, so, you know, you kind of take it in stride. 
almost a letdown in some senses. I mean, I've, a lot of people have told me that not a letdown, but it was like, is that it kind of feeling? There's a bit of that. They could, there's definitely a bit of that. Um, it's funny. I, I, I can relate to that big time at the Olympics because um, at the Olympics, you know, you're going, everybody's out to get the gold. There's only one person in each sport that's going to get that, the gold. And so you can think that, wow, I didn't get the gold. I, I didn't get the, I didn't, you maybe didn't get the silver, whatever, or you didn't get any medal. And so in the world at that time, in that sport, you're the one person that probably got that gold or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so anything less than that, even if you get a silver bronze, anything less than that, you can look at yourself as a failure. You know, it doesn't matter you're one of the best in the world, blah, blah, blah. But that's just the way we compartmentalize things, I guess. So, you know, we think, well, this is what I was going for. This is my goal. This is, you know, if it's not, if I don't get the gold, I'm a failure. Or, and, and certainly with the U.S., it's a lot more like that than with other countries. The other countries aren't, aren't, aren't as gold hungry, <laughs> you know. Uh, the U.S., man, I mean, but, but that's the thing. You've got to make sure you're, you're not defined. So you don't want to be defined by your losses, obviously, but you can't be defined by who you are because you got a medal. Right, because I mean, all it is is a metal. It's mm-hmm. an object, something you want. You know, big deal. It doesn't make you that, other than being a gold medalist, or and being first at that particular thing. You know, but you know, being a, a human being, and you know, being a if you're a father or whatever, that has not that has no bearing on what <laughs> what metal you got. You still got to be legit. You still got to be honest and you still got to work hard. You still got to be a good example and, you know, things like that. So, um, but sometimes, you know, we can get so much identity out of these things that, that we accomplish. And I think it, there's a lot more to it than that. So, yeah, I think the disappointment comes from, you know, you thought you can think that something is going to change with your life where that's not, sometimes the case i remember when i was in korea i thought wow it was like the day before closing ceremonies and i thought and the and the whole village was really quiet and i thought this is probably one of the most loneliest places on earth right now because most of the sports were done we had the marathon to go which was you know they always do that on the last day and i thought there was a lot of jubilation and excitement and celebration all good all good i actually have a a a call starting at one o'clock and i have so much more to ask you about can we do a second session you think and pair these together yeah yeah that'd be great all right gang that was our first interview with noel a day later we recorded this follow-on interview enjoy so in 1980 you win the ncaa's how do you how do you uh, first seek out the UK team to join the UK national team? You know, the story behind that had nothing to do with me and everything to do with Wade. Wade Chalice. Um, he thought at that time, I, I think the United States at that time, was, it was already in the books that they were going to boycott the Olympics in 1980. 
But England um, and many of the European countries um, were going to send a team. They just were not going to send a flag. And so um, he suggested, be, be, being that I was a, a British subject, to get a hold of the British Amateur Wrestling Association, the BAWA, and see if I can get on their team. Because I, he thought I shouldn't have a problem making the team. It's just a matter of, you know, let, let him, let, letting them know that there was an interest. And so we got a hold of them. He got a hold of them and chatted with that president who was like, I don't know if he was both clueless and, and totally blase about it. And, and, and then to do things by the book, he said, I have to come over. I'm a student. <laughs> I don't have no money. You know, I had to fly over and compete in three national competitions. That's their, mm-hmm. kind of like the U.S., that's, you know, they're qualifying. So, and so I thought, there's got to be an easy way than that. How about we do a, you know, round robin. If there's 10 guys in the way, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll work anything out. You know, we can go a round robin, you know, best out of three with, you know, five top guys, 10 top guys, whatever, you know. Um, I didn't think, and, and yeah, I didn't think it would be that difficult to make the team, but, you know, there's rules, obviously, and, and things like that. So I would have to travel over there. There's no way around that. So that was not going to be possible, not feasible. So, but it, it, it put a, for me, that conversation and the discussion with Wade, that put, um, it put a bee in my body. And it got me thinking, wow, you know, I could possibly represent England, if not the US. And, and that'd be fun. That'd be enjoyable. That'd be something to work towards. And so, um, it, it, yeah, so it got me kind of on that road with that, hey, here's this, this guy. I could possibly make the English team, you know, the, the, the Olympic team for England. So did you already have the Olympic dream in general at this point or or not really? I had the dream, but it was a fantasy. Because I mean I first got the dream. I was back in the days when um the first Olympics I ever saw was with Dan Gable. 72. 72. Uh Montreal, Canada. Or was it Germany? Munich, Germany. It was Munich, okay. And um and and they did a bio on him, on his life, his training, things like that. And um, him losing, I think, to Wayne Wells. And then that really drove him to, uh, to you know, take it up another notch on the, on the international level. And that bio, most of everybody that I know around my age who were in wrestling were impacted by that, that um, Olympic bio of his. I'm not sure if you've seen it. But it was incredible the way he trained, um, just his whole story, his life. Um, very interesting guy, very motivated, very inspiring. And that really got 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 me thinking, whoa, I'd love to do that, but I'm not there. And then even at that level, um, you know, when I'd gotten into, you know, got a national championship, all that stuff, um, I still didn't feel like I was there, but I could make an Olympic team and um, obviously with training and things like that you know anything can happen so yeah, it so wasn't that, kind that 
there wasn't that much stuff going around back then. So that was like the one thing you guys just gripped onto. Pretty much, pretty much. Wow. And his story, the one thing I love about the Olympics is when they do bios like that, because it doesn't matter what sport it is. You can really, um, you get really inspired by seeing a person's training, their mentality, their approach, you know, their life story. And then you see them, they're doing the bobsleigh or they're doing, you know, they're a hundred meter runner or, the, or maybe they're a three, three mile runner, whatever. It doesn't really matter what it is, but you know, just that making that personal um, connection with that, with that, that athlete to me is very inspiring. And um, yeah. That was big for you. And then how did you, how did you end up making the team in 84? Yeah. So I went to, I moved to London in 82. At the time I was living in Boston, I was working with, um, with the B, with BU, Carl Adams up there in BU. And I was also working out with a guy off and on who was in Harvard. He was uh, so right across the water from where I was, but um, he was a freestyle wrestler and wrestled for Harvard. So um, over the years, I would, I would, tra- I would train with him. Um, he didn't make the, uh, the Canadian team, but you know he was working towards making that team. So in 82, I, I ended up moving in, eight, in the summer of 82, I moved to London to live. And I, I had, um, I was trying to find out where I could wrestle, who I can work out with, didn't really, and I didn't know nothing. So I ended up calling um, this fellow, Bert Jacobs, who's the, the president of the British Wrestling Association. I contacted him or his office, and they invited me to come up to the, the Esquires, the school boards, whatever, mm-hmm. up in, um, Manchester, it was Manchester at the time. And so I got to this gymnasium and they had all the mats out and all these kids, but they're not kids. I mean, they're more teenagers. So, you know, but yeah, some good wrestling. I got to make connections with people and they invited me to a, um, a national training camp. You know, they were having the whole team make, you know, come up to this, this training camp. So, and they had given me some leads on who I could contact and where I could go to in London to to um, to work out and find some workout partners. So um, in England, wrestling is heaviest in the Manchester area. That's where all the, all the organizations and all the you know the that's where it houses the uh, you know British Amateur Wrestling Association. So everything's really housed in. Manchester. I'm from London. Um, I mean, most of the guys who were on the team were from Manchester. I was the only guy from London that um, actually, in all the few years that I wrestled in in uh, for the for the UK, I believe, other than another workout partner of mine, Steve, there was yeah, there was only one, maybe two other guys that that were from London that. We would we would travel international, internationally together. So um, yeah, they had the whole, you know, it's just their thing, you know. So they were very, almost clickish with their with their wrestling. But did you just like roll them up? Because I mean, I, I did the UK level of wrestling. Was it good back then, or did you just destroy people? No, 
they had a number of guys from Manchester who were decent, you know. Um, like NCAA All-American level or not that level? Um, one of the guys, he's um, he was tough. I mean, he was a 57-kilo wrestler. And he would do well in, in tournaments. But again, international, we have a lot, there's a lot of international tournaments that I competed in. Um, so each year I'd probably compete in, say, anywhere from 10 to 15 tournaments. Whoa, that's yeah. a lot. Yeah, but there, you know, but that the major tournaments, obviously, like what you would know, you would know the Europeans, you would know the worlds. But, mm -hmm. uh, and then there's those, invitational you know uh, there's um um clement ferrand um that tournament um mateo pelicone did you ever wrestle on that one in italy i, I haven't i don't think no it's italy commonwealth games though is that where you made your breakthrough to make the team no i made the commonwealth team uh, commonwealth games team because that was like making um the olympic team or any other or a national squad so um, I've made the com, but you know when the Commonwealth Games is hosted by the country, a certain country, they can opt to add a add a a sport and subtract a sport. And so a lot of the countries that have strong wrestling will keep wrestling: Canada, Australia, um, but other countries like New Zealand, they're like ah. Eh, We'd rather do bowls, <laughs> you know, lawn bowling, get wrestling out of there. And so there's been some times where we've, I've missed the Commonwealth Games, but we would have like the Commonwealth, they'll call it something different. Like the, it wouldn't be the Commonwealth Games, it would be the Commonwealth, and they'll just, just have it for wrestling. So all the countries that have wrestling would, would come Got it. and compete. So. So what was the qualification like to get on that 84 team? It was, it was um, the 84. Yeah. So I had made the national squad. It was interesting how, how, how they did it. Like, remember I told you, they invited me to come up to, uh, up to their, their Olympic, no, their national training session, which I went up there. I haven't really been on the map for maybe six months, five months. I hadn't been on the map, hadn't, touch the wrestling mat but i pretty much stand in shape I, I you know obviously there's nothing that keeps me in shape of wrestling but wrestling to mm -hmm. be honest but i you know i keep myself in pretty uh, good nick at the time so um they invited me to their uh, training center and i didn't bring anything because they i didn't ask them if i should um i didn't want to yeah i just didn't want to assume mm -hmm. so i go up there i'm not you know just in my street clothes <laughs> And so the, uh, the whole team warm up and I'm an outsider. And so, and they treat me like an outsider, like I got the plague or something. <laughs> it's, it's the weirdest dynamic. I, you know. Um, really? Oh yeah, it really was. It was awkward. They then introduced me, which that's fine. But, you know, I'm the new guy. I'm the new guy in the room, you know, and, I'm trying to make the team, so I don't know what the protocol is here. And and when I get there, I kind of walk in. Everybody's in there. Um, I kind of walk in there. Um, I get there early, 
and and I'm just standing around. And so people are walking by me and just doing their thing and they're getting changed and kitted out. Um, so they've warmed up. I'm in there checking out their warm ups. I'm checking out, you know, when they start drilling. And so they say, hey, listen, um, one of the guys who's running the whole thing says, listen, you wanna, do you have any gear? Do you have anything to work out? And I said, I, I didn't bring anything. He goes, why don't you pop on the shorts and the t-shirt and you know, you can maybe rustle in those shoes you have on. I was wearing some sneaks at the time. <laughs> so I said, man, this is whack as you can get. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking, right? So um, anyway, so I get on the mat and they don't tell me this, but it's like open season, Logan, <laughs> you know? And so we, we proceed to go king of the hill. And anybody that wants to come out on me can come out. And I'm on my feet. And, and so I do that for 45 minutes with the lightest, not the lightest guy, the lightest guy didn't bother me, you know. Um, so from around um, 63 kilo, I think is what they had, you know, at that time. So from 63 kilo all the way up to heavyweights. And they all came out and they had a dip. And some of these guys would come out four or five times at a go. And I would just take one guy down and the next guy would be on me. And I would just go for 40, about 45 minutes. Wow. And that was it. And nothing was said before that. Nothing was said afterwards. And, um, and I was having a good time. I was getting a nice little workout, you know, a little bit. And um, No, you weren't so, getting taken down or anything? Did what? You weren't getting take da taken down? No, no, no. I didn't get taken down at all. And so, um, and after that, that was it. Nothing else was said. And, you know, um, I went home with nothing. With no, no coach comes up to you and says anything? Dude, that was it. No knowledge of anything. And then about two weeks later, they said, meet at Heathrow Airport. Um, you're going to be wrestling in some tournament in France, in the south of France, which I'd never done before. You know, I've only wrestled freestyle like one time in high school. But I thought I... You know, as long as I don't do no Grambys, I'm good. <laughs> That's the one thing I did when I did the freestyle tournament. I did a Gramby roll and I gave up two points. And I'm like, man, what? I was talking to the ref. I said, what? I just escaped from this guy. <laughs> I, was, wow. I was disheartened, man. I was like, man, freestyle's a trip. But no, but um, yeah. And then I, I wrestled that tournament and I think I won it. My first tournament. And um, But I'm wrestling guys from France, some German guys, um, Austrians you know, minor European countries, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so I did a lot of those types of tournaments, but I, you know, kind of improved my skill with, um, you know, freestyle and rules and things like that. So, but, and so making the, um, the Olympic team, I wrestled some, you know, obviously I had to wrestle the tournaments in, in, in England, like the British Open, the English Championships, and maybe one other one. Um, and that was it. I made the team. Um, great experience. Um, my first Olympics was in was uh, L.A. And, and L.A. knows how to put on a party. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was incredible. The, the it was the amount of volunteers that assisted in the L.A. Olympics was probably I, I can't. I can't remember the number, 
but they have people who are masseuses who are giving, um, giving, volunteering their time. And you could get a, a massage from around 10 o'clock in the morning to sometimes 10 o'clock at night. And they had a tent with maybe five masseuses on one side, five on the other side, who were working for free. Wow. And they were phenomenal. And they would work, obviously, they would work maybe one to two hours. They'd give up, you know, volunteer two hours a day, mm -hmm. different times throughout that, that week. But you had athletes. I stayed on the UCLA campus. There was a, a UCLA campus and there was one down, down, downtown. Um, I can't remember that one, name of that one. Um, down near Watts. One USC? USC, right. And so, um, but yeah, um, the security was uh, top, top of the line. When you went into the cafeteria, it was like you were in a, in a depart, in a grocery store where they have the oranges in a, almost like a, a pyramid, apples pyramid. <laughs> it was, I mean, the visuals were impressive. When you went in the cafeteria, it was impressive. Um, there was a fella. I mean, you can eat 24 hours a day. You know, wow. you could go in there and eat 24 hours a day. I've heard it the was, cafe is crazy. Like, it was amazing. Every food you could imagine. I met a fella. I was in the sauna. And I was talking to a guy from Toga. He was the one representative that the country had. He was a boxer. He was probably about maybe 132, 140. That was his weight class, mm -hmm. something like, like that. He was the only guy from his country that made the Olympic team. So it was him, one, one, one boxer, and I think three representatives. Because the food was so amazing, he was like eight pounds overweight. And he had to weigh in the next day. And I'm looking at the guy. He had a smile on his face, but he wasn't going to make weight. He, he probably didn't even care at that point. He just he didn't, he didn't even care. He didn't even care. But I'm thinking, dude, that's a mistake. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're not gonna make weight, dude. I see you. It's crazy but, because wrestling's always last at the Olympics, you know. So it's like, did you experience that, or was it not last that year? Um, it's not the first week, but I think the Olympics goes. Does it go about? Two 14, 15, 14 days, yeah. 15 days, something like that. And so we normally start about day seven, you know. Okay. And like now, you know, it's normally over in one day now, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think then, I think it was like we had two days. So I had to wrestle on the way in and, and then wrestle again, I think. Then they started to change that over the years. Right. Yeah. So we didn't finish in one day. Um, and I was competing pretty short. Did you wrestle Bannock or who did who'd you lose you know, to Bannock, third? Bannock, I, I would have met Bannock in the finals, but I lost in the semis. I, I lost to a guy named Ota, Japanese guy. He wrestled Bannock. Um, he, yeah, he wrestled Bannock in the finals. And, um, yeah. and I ended up wrestling Clark Davis, who was uh, the number one seed. And we ended up 
I ended up meeting him in the uh, Constellation Finals. And which was kind of disappointing in many ways because when I came over from England to make, to train, I wanted to train with the US team, but they had just finished their trials. And so nobody was working out. And I had just flown over to the US. And um, I'm like, I got a hold of Wade, I think it was. And I said, Wade, I'm trying to find somewhere where I can go train. He goes, well, good luck with that, buddy, because everybody's, you know, they just finished the, the uh, trials and people aren't going to be training for a while. Mm-hmm. And so I said, well, what, what can I do? He said, well, let me get back to you. And when he got back to me, he goes, listen, can you get to, can you get to, can I get to Canada? Um, um, up near what? No, what um, anyway, the west coast of, of Canada and um, British Columbia, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, who's up there? I, well, that's where they're the Canadian national team trains. And so I went up there. Um, I, I he contacted them. I think I contacted them. Um, so they said, "Come, come ahead. We'd love to have you." I went up there, worked out with the team. As soon as I landed, we were hanging out. And, uh, you know, when they would do their day trips, I'd hang out with them, you know, go to a basketball game or whatever, different things. I mean, everything that the, the team did, the Canadian team did, they brought me along like I was just one of them. It was they, and I was nobody. And they, they treated me, and, I mean, their hospitality is phenomenal. And so to meet up with Clark, we didn't train together so much in, in practice. But just to meet up, in a sense, we're like teammates, here, and, and, you know. And so just to meet up with him and for a medal that his country would get or my country would get, you know, it's kind of disappointing. And, you know, that it has to be a Canadian, especially the way in which they had really rolled out, rolled out the, the red carpet for me. So, yeah. You know, well, when you but, look back on, you know, that was a, you know, to be the UK's first wrestling medalist. Is that right? And, and last wrestling medalist? Last maybe, but not the first. There was a fella, Rich, Rich something. Definitely the last though. I saw that a couple of times during the research that um, you're the last uh, wrestling medalist for the UK, which is yeah, uh, the last one, not not the first though. Okay, and I was gonna say we don't. Uh, once again, time has escaped us, but I wanted, I want to have, I want to talk about your coaching career and your cross training and how you ended up at NC state. That'll have to be another time, but we'll just wind down with this coaches. You are someone who literally had your life shaped by wrestling. And you know, the name of this podcast is wrestling changed my life. So mm-hmm. how was wrestling most impacted you? You know, I would say easily that it gave me something to I think with most sports, but certainly wrestling, it teaches you discipline. It, it te- teaches you teamwork. Um, and it teaches you a, a, you know, a certain amount of responsibility and independence. And, and, and also with the various levels of improvement you can make, you have something to pursue. Mm-hmm. 
And obviously in sports, that's that's the one of the, the main aims. It's his self-improvement, it's team improvement, uh, and and the aspiration to accomplish certain goals that are out there. And so it really helped me. Um, I, the coaches that I've known in wrestling have been like fathers, surrogate fathers in many ways. And they gave their, their heart, um, their soul, and, um, you know, they were, you know, they were strong, good character, good character people. So they taught me sportsmanship. Um, and, and I think that's a big thing, you know, um, you know, not having tantrums and going off and cussing and doing anything crazy. I mean, just a lot of, just good, good habits, good behavior stuff. And so um, it really helped me. It really gave me some direction and, um, you know, gave me the discipline to work hard um, because it's a kind of a lonely sport in many regards because you're, I remember, for me at least, I, you know, I did a lot of training by myself. I'm running alone, doing, you know, calisthenics alone. And the only time I was really with the team is when I was in the room and wrestling. Mm -hmm. But other than that, boy, I spent a lot of time, you know, you know, on the road running and stuff like that. So, but yeah, I would say that um, it really helped me for a person who's trying to find independence and and find out kind of my you know who i was it kind of gave me some identity and, awesome uh, i mean it shows look at how uh you know how crazy not how crazy but just you know your life was going in in one direction um and it wasn't a bad direction because you had you know you the the orphanage and then your aunt and uncle but then man a whole another journey takes place for you pretty cool yeah yeah i mean it's allowed me to travel all over Europe and pretty much all over the world. I mean, I've been to the continent of Africa, Australia, you know, a few countries I've not been. I've been to Japan and you know, Korea and stuff like that. So, yeah, all the uh, many of the countries in Europe, throughout Europe, I've been. And uh, it's been amazing. Made a lot of friends, a lot of contacts, a lot of relationships along the way. Love yeah, it's it. special. Wrestling is a, is a fraternity of, uh, of brothers. Doesn't matter what school you went to, you know, you may have your, you know, you may have certain attitudes against that school, maybe, you know, but that it's all based on respect, right? You see that person in a pub and, and you grab a beer with them and it's like, hey, like you guys have been teammates, <laughs> but just on different teams. Like right? best friends forever. Yeah, it's crazy like yeah, that, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. All right, my friend. Thank you so much for coming on, Noel. It's been a pleasure, sir. Hey, man. Same here, man. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to Wrestling Changed My Life. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a five-star review on Apple or Spotify Podcasts. To support this show, please go to SpartanCombat.com. Register now to enter to win a free Yanni D t-shirt at SpartanCombat.com. We'll see you next time on Wrestling Changed My Life.